Welcome to Get to Gnosis, a podcast brought to you by the Gnosis Builders team. Get to Gnosis explores Web3 topics in a bite-sized way while showcasing the best of the Gnosis chain ecosystem. I'm your host, Chantelle Womoyi, and I'm excited to bring you the latest insights, expert opinions, and discussions on all things blockchain. In this episode, we'll be diving into data and AI. Today, we're joined by Don, founder of Nevermind. Nevermind is a decentralized data and AI marketplace built on top of IPFS and using a Web3 stack. Nevermind has the ability to monetize AI agents, ChatGPT, through something called subscription NFT. Welcome to the podcast, Don. How are you today? I'm great. Thanks for having me. I'm a Canadian transplant to Portugal. I now spent the better part of a decade and a half in IT consulting as a subject matter expert in data and analytics. Traveled the world building data states for some of the world's biggest companies, HSBC, AXA, L'Oreal, Sharp. And then in 2016, I was introduced to future business partner and co-founder at a financial services blockchain conference. And he regaled us at the benefits of using blockchain for in particular, providential integrity with data and uh, kind of hooked me. And I got into the crypto scene in earnest at that point, ended up co-founding a relatively OG project in, in the data AI on, on the Web3 space called the Ocean Protocol, which was a data marketplace with Web3 Rails. So co-founded that in, in late 2017, launched the first version in 2019. And then, yeah, have been building stuff in the space ever since helped build parts of Filecoin, Cello. We've been all over the place. And the most recent project is Nevermind. So this is, again, going back to my roots in the data and analytics side, leveraging all the benefits of blockchain for providential integrity and corresponding attribution and the payment rails and leveraging that for the benefit of AI and data sharing. Wow. It's always so interesting hearing everyone's stories of how they started in crypto, what they were doing before and, and then what they've done since. So I know that we have a lot to get into today and I would love to start with what are smart subscriptions and how do they work? All right. Well, there's a lot to unpack, but I think the way I normally explain it is through an example. Okay. So. In all the work that we've done, we've had our homes in building a lot of different marketplaces, including data marketplaces. And one of the things that we realized is that with traditional asset tokenization, what you normally have is a one-to-one relationship between the asset payload and, and the token, right? Whether usually it's in the form of an NFT. So. If you think about quote unquote, traditional NFTs, you think the board eight paradigm where you've got one JPEG linked to one token, right? Yeah. So if you go into the development of a marketplace and you're tokenizing these assets, we built a, a DeFi data marketplace and the intention there was to help surface DeFi 
data sets for quant to backtest their strategies. And so the marketplace itself would take uh, data sets from multiple different DeFi protocols, and then you would chunk those up normally into say one month segments per protocol, right? So if you're a quant and you want to test your strategies across, let's say five different DeFi protocols, Admade, Balancer, Curves, Uniswap, whatever. And each of those, each of the, each of those protocols has their data broken up into one month segments and you want to back test for the last year. That's 60 data sets in a token gated environment. That's at least 60 confirms through your wallet to gain access to those assets. Usually it's more, especially if there's a transaction taking place, you need to purchase access or something. Right. So it's just horrendous user experience. It could be in, in the magnitude of, of hundreds of, of confirmation clicks within MetaMask or whatever wallet they're using. Right. So that process is an incredibly time intensive process and very manual. So we went back to the drawing board and said, look, there must be a different way to manifest this control and access component. And we came up with this concept of subscriptions. And so effectively what we do is we mint a token in this case, an NFT, which holds the access conditions to a set of assets that you append to that subscription. So in effect, the subscription acts a bucket okay. and that bucket has access conditions on it, time period for access, right? Or payment for access or a combination of those. So what we have implemented and what we're going live with in the coming weeks is the ability to set the time window for access on a, an hourly basis or a, a weekly or monthly or yearly basis. And then also couple that with a form of compensation. And then what we allow you to do or what Nevermind facilitates is the coupling of multiple assets to that single token. And so those 60 data sets, for instance, in this scenario that I gave as an example, they could be bucketed under one smart subscription. So all you have to do now is confirm once to get access to all those assets. And the user experience is just, is drastically simplified. Now where this really starts to show its power is in the analytics domain, right? Because very rarely are you using one data set, one model and, and one workflow. Usually all of these things are commingled together and that becomes the analytics service. So in the case of an AI agent, which is effectively just an analytical workflow with data sets, context models, orchestration capabilities, you can couple all of these components 
into one asset and that asset being the smart subscription. And then you can make that smart subscription available to your subscriber base. Oh, okay. Well, so the marketplace side of things, I guess you can trade these NFTs in this case. Yep. If say you no longer want to use this particular service. Oh, that's, that's really, that's really cool. Yeah. So that the initial marketplace is, it's a primary market. So it will make these services, these AI agents and the corresponding contextual data sets available for consumption. And then there is, as you mentioned, there is the potential to add, we would call it internally, this concept of liquid licensing, where these subscriptions, these smart subscriptions can start to evolve and they're not necessarily coupled to one individual or one organization, right? So theoretically, you could pool smart subscriptions for a bunch of coordinated services. Right. Martin on your side, Martin Kopelman, he talks about mechs and this idea of autonomous economic agents. Mm -hmm. What you need to have are these pooling of agents that do certain specific tasks that then work together in concert to perform some action or activity. So what you could do is couple all of these autonomous agents into a single smart subscription and then subscribe to the outcome of those agents working together via the smart subscription. Oh, wow. This is really cutting edge stuff. I was scrolling on Twitter and I saw someone talking about AI agents and how by definition they are unbanked. And so they are providing a new use case for crypto that we hadn't necessarily thought of before, but we're having this conversation now and, and you guys at Nevermind have already built it. Um, yep. Yeah. I know. <laughs> So it just kind of, that's so impressive. This is a labor of love. We've been working on this project in various forms for the last six going on seven years. Wow. And in the last 12 months with the explosion of AI, the interest in what we're doing is really popped off. But as things have started to transpire in the AI space, he said, this tweet that you saw that said AIs will, are, are on banks. What we say internally is AIs won't have bank accounts. Yeah. And, but they're going to need a means of, to transact. Yeah. Obviously, I think you and I are biased in this, but we see the manifestation of that capability for transacting coming via wallet. And so to dig a little deeper in, in terms of what we are doing to enable that transactability for these AI agents, if you take a step back and look at what, how these agents are actually made available, they are services running somewhere made available via an API. Yeah. So to access that service. You access it through the API, you provide your context via that API and you get the resulting inference or outcome from that agent, right? What we've done with the marketplace, what we are enabling is for you to take that API endpoint and wrap that in a smart subscription. So as the publisher of that agent, it's a very simple process. You just yeah. 
So here's my, here's my URL endpoint for this API. Encrypt the bearer token, basically the, the token to access. That gets packaged into this subscription, the smart subscription capability. And, and then as the publisher, you can set different parameters for access, whether that be price or time banding the access. In the future, what we want to have shortly after launch is request-based access. So the publisher can set the, the number of requests that you can make to access that agent. So yeah, you can basically, what we're doing is providing these endpoints with the means of transacting, giving them effectively wallets and moving towards a paradigm where semi-autonomous agents and autonomous agents can begin to manage reserves and transact with you and I, or with other agents or third-party services, I don't know, Reddit APIs for data feeds or Stack Overflow APIs or whatever. I kind of said, people are only really just starting to think about this. And you've been thinking about this for a really long time. Um, but what is the space that competitively? Are there other data marketplaces, decentralized data marketplaces or AI marketplaces kind of doing similar things? Or do you feel you are very much kind of the first to do this? So there are in, in the traditional contemporary web two space, there are data marketplaces. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, the classic is advertising, but then you've got scientific publication marketplaces, research gate and Sevier. Bloomberg is arguably a data marketplace. So that there is, there are examples of these things in our space. There are some, I mentioned ocean protocol. That's a data marketplace. Yeah. With respect to AIs, you have, again, in the traditional space, you've got OpenAI, which through its plugin services, there are now, those are being populated with other agents, but it most, mostly it's third-party data services. But the best example for another kind of AI service that's being made available in that quote unquote marketplace would be Wolfram Alpha as a plugin to, to ChatGPT. So we're starting to see it emerge, but putting it all together. No, I think we're at the forefront of this. Yeah. Because we always yeah. say, oh, it's the early crypto, but the intersection of crypto and AI is even earlier. So yeah, it's so good to have this conversation and just learn about what you're building because it's it's different to the normal crypto projects that we see or the normal web three projects that we see yeah uh, hopefully can inspire some developers to to give it a go i mean that's the motivation so that the majority of the team we come out of big data basically mm -hmm. and the driver for us was seeing the inefficiencies that exist within in part because of the, the technology restrictions, but also because of the, the lack of transparency and providential integrity that exists. And that breeds systems are, of distrust. And it's very hard to counter those from a centralized paradigm point of view. You, you put a lot of reliance in some third party 
and it puts a lot of reliance on any given actor within those ecosystems to trust some third party that's going to custody assets, et cetera. And I think that's where the superpower of blockchain really starts to flex because it can tackle specifically the, the provenance question, right? And then from that, you scale that or, or, or extend that out to attribution, whether that's imposing then potentially residuals or royalties on the usage of contributions or pay to play model where you got to pay upfront for access to different data sets or services, et cetera. But I think we're seeing very quickly the evolution of these analytical environments driven by the emergence of these LLMs. Mm-hmm. We've been talking about a data economy. I mean, pre crypto, right? Yeah. Yeah. And it's just never really emerged. What's going to catalyze all of this is are these AI agents. So if you'll bear with me, I'll kind of reflect on this. We've held this long term belief that first and foremost, your analytics capability, your AI inferences, they're only as good as the data that you put in to the creation of that solution. In this case, the creation of the model, right? Mm-hmm. What you have with these large, the transformers, et cetera, is massive amounts of information that's great from publicly available sites on the internet and then used to train these models, right? If you look at the trajectory of things, and we've been saying this for six or seven years, anticipating an outcome where there's the potential that we run out of publicly available information for these models. Okay. Uh, this is somewhat substantiated. There was a, a paper released by some researchers at MIT last October that substantiated these claims. In the paper, I say it could be as early as this year, but more likely 2025, where we run out of quote unquote, high quality text-based information that we can scrape from the internet to train these models, images, or like in a 2070 or something. But anyway, there's this sort of horizon where we run out of publicly available info. Additionally, there's this issue where Models that are trained on the same data sets, regardless of the architecture, give or take, they converge to the same response if you ask it the same question, right? So the models themselves, if they're trained on the same data, there's no real competitive advantage of one over another, right? What does this mean for AIs? It means in order for AIs to outcompete one another, they are going to be required to access information that the other AI that they're competing with doesn't have access to. So we've seen this happen before in online advertising and the online auctions that take place around the information for marketing to you and I. In this case, advertising agencies that do that competing, right? In this case, what we think is going to take place is it'll it'll be these agents 
that are competing with one another. And that's what's going to set this market. So it's a, it's a pretty interesting horizon that we're looking at. It's almost like we're entering the golden age. But yeah, I went to a talk about AI and how really the technology that kind of made this hype cycle kind of happen came out in the seventies or something. Yeah. I mean, it's, it goes back even further than that. The, the current technology is actually being driven by a paper that came out of Google in 2017. And actually, Ilya, who's the co-founder of, of Near, yeah. he co-wrote the, it's all about attention, the attention paper, right? Which laid the groundwork for the transformer model. Okay. And so that's what led to, so JPT, that's a transformer model architecture, right? Generative pre-trained transformers. That's what GPT stands for. So that's what's led to this explosion. And yeah, they're incredibly powerful. And the power is, I think, kind of predicated on the versatility of the models. Mm -hmm. So prior machine learning capabilities were very fit for purpose. You built a model for a very specific use case. And the idea was basically that model was only relevant to that specific use case. That's not entirely true. I mean, a lot of what we're enabling is this application called tra transfer learning. Okay. So this is, I, I, just to give you kind of a bit of a crash course. So in traditional machine learning, you would create a model and it would be very specific for a very specific purpose, credit card fraud detection, right? What we learned was that you could actually take a model that was built for one purpose. And if you provided contextual information for a slightly different use case, the model could be quite performant and would mean you don't have to create a new model for an adjacent use case. So. You create a credit card fraud detection model. And if you provide that same model, a different set of contexts, let's say internal emails, you could actually start to detect fraud that's, uh, that's prevailing within your, your corporate environment and manifesting through emails. Mm -hmm. So this is, this is the concept of, of transfer learning. What's cool is that this concept also applies to these large language models. And so what it gives you is it gives you the ability to fine tune the responses without having to retrain the model, which is an expensive process, right? GPT-4, it didn't release the numbers, but it's anticipated it costs upwards of 200 million to create. That's a lot of money. It's a lot of money. So yeah. instead of, you know, retraining or training a new model, what you do is this process of transfer learning where you provide new context or maybe not even new context, but isolated context to that model and then ask questions about that new context and limit the response to that new context. So basically what you're doing is you're making a data set available 
and using that data set to filter the response from a larger model. Okay. And yeah, that yeah. application is super powerful. We're definitely very excited about AI at Gnosis. I think the team is really looking into different use cases and kind of what we can do with our own chain. Why did you guys come to Gnosis chain? What was the story behind that? I mean, long story short, I talking to Martin about a specific use case and he and Stefan, and they both said, well, we were just talking about this use case and trying to enable it within the Gnosis ecosystem. So let's just combine forces and do it together to which I said, that's fantastic. But that's the serendipitous response. The, the real response is when you look at the, what you guys are doing, broadly speaking, and in particular with the inclusion of say, you've got specifically the emergence of these semi-autonomous agents, right? Which could have multiple stakeholders, individuals, organizations, et cetera. And as we discussed earlier, we want, we're looking to enable these agents and their ability to transact. There is, there then arises a question of reserve management, fund management, et cetera, right? And also decision-making. And the work that Gnosis has been doing for a long time now, and then in particular with the, with SAFE, it, it, that is a natural progression, including that type of technology in the governance of these, in particular, semi-autonomous agents. And then having a network that's kind of fit for purpose for that type of emergent ecosystem. So it, it's, it, yeah, it's, I think it's a very serendipitous outcome in all of this. It just, it may, when you look at the, the, the sort of the drivers and the outcomes that we want to achieve, this is just a, it's a natural choice. So it seems like there's a natural synergy that great minds think alike and you guys are thinking of the same things. That's super cool. It's once again coming back to just monetizing these AI agents. And I think that is a breeding ground for kind of incentivizing more developers to, to build in this space, have really crazy, wacky ideas, and also just like work together. Yep. It's not so pervasive at the moment, but every once in a while, the, the Lego theme pops up. And I think what we're looking at in the not too distant future are AI Legos, where you're basically putting all of these agents together to perform certain activities. Yeah. I think what's also interesting to me is we're coming out with a marketplace that's very, very traditional in its operation. It's intended for you and I to use and interface with these different components, data sets, AI and services, et cetera. But the, I've been asked a few times, what is the AI interface look? And I don't, I don't think a traditional marketplace as you and I would conceive of one is actually what the future holds. This is going to be that the interface will be at the API level. Yeah. And so that marketplace will take place there. And again, I think it's another rationale for the, all of this 
infrastructural technology that we've spent the last 15 years building, right? Mm. It's really going to come to the forefront. Yeah, my final question was kind of going to be around what unique opportunities or challenges are apparent in the space that you're working because you're working at the intersection of blockchain, data, and AI. And yeah, it's another trilemma, but (laughs) uh, I guess this is one of them. Yeah, I think as an industry, we kind of got to shake the, some of the negative connotations that come with our domain, tokens, NFTs, et cetera. They kind of carry with them at present the burden of, I don't know, malicious behavior, malintent and that sort of thing. So we got to re-educate gen pop that this isn't. It's more a means to an end, right? It's a feature and it's a piece of technology and it has more than one application. Yeah. And it, and the power of it, the ability to compose access conditions, et cetera, is when you, when you start to introduce that to these sorts of ecosystems, it's, it's incredibly powerful, right? One of the reasons why we argue that AIs won't have bank accounts is because of why the hell would an AI want a bank account, right? You and I are willing to deal with the latency that's involved there, the settlement times, the KYC that's required to onboard, et cetera. But why would an AI want that? It's incredibly inefficient. Yeah. Super inefficient. So I think that's where for now, the foreseeable future, a lot of the focus will remain on enabling these services and capturing the value. And part of that value capture will be in their transactability and just proving out that it's more than the platform as a service providers or the AI as a service providers, as the case may be open AI, Google, et cetera, that can capture the value here that you or I can create very quickly, novel applications and, and monetize those quickly, and then continue to scale those through this Lego idea where you're just continuing, continually com- composing and recomposing services, et cetera. So that's exciting. And I think that yeah. falls in line with the entire crypto web three ethos, because it'll be incredibly decentralized. That's what we're striving for, a new decentralized digital world. For sure. Thank you for tuning into this episode of Get to Gnosis. We hope that you've enjoyed our deep dive into cutting edge smart subscriptions, decentralized data and AI marketplaces. As always, we aim to make complex topics in the Web3 space more accessible to all listeners. And we hope we've achieved that today. We encourage you to keep exploring the Gnosis ecosystem and all that it has to offer. And we look forward to bringing you more exciting content in the future. Don't forget to subscribe to Get to Gnosis and follow us and Nevermind on social media. All of our links are in the description. Thanks again for listening. And until next time, keep exploring, building, and getting to Gnosis. <laughs>